Why didn't I think about being different and outside the box so that I would appeal to investors? And also, why didn't I choose something that just makes lots of money and grows quickly? <laughs> I mean, they were fun, don't get me wrong, but retail's really tough. Anyone that's in that retail game knows it. It takes a long time to grow and it's really hard to sell. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Vogt, and today our guest is Alexandra Nolan. Alexandra is a successful entrepreneur and business owner who has started and sold several businesses, and that helped her escape her corporate career. Today, we're going through her story of burning the ships in the corporate world to start her own business, her own retail business, which she, she then went on to sell and onto a further life of success in business ownership and entrepreneurship. We're going through key lessons that she learned along the way, her skills, some mistakes that she made along the way, missteps, big lessons, and takeaways that we as real estate investors can apply to our real estate investing businesses. I love talking about business ownership and entrepreneurship on this show. A lot of real estate investors maybe don't see the overlap between real estate investing and entrepreneurship generally, but the two are really one and the same. As real estate investors, we are buying properties, but we're really buying businesses that are based in our properties that generate certain incomes and have certain exit strategies. And then we get into some of the nuances between owning a retail business versus a real estate business. But really, the lessons are all the same. As real estate investors, we own businesses and we can take lessons from other business types and entrepreneurs and apply them to our real estate businesses. And Alexandra has a ton of awesome lessons for us today from starting businesses to successfully owning them and then keys that she learned that helped her sell her business toward the end. So many great lessons. You're going to learn a lot. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor. And to date, I've acquired, invested in, partnered on, or otherwise had a hand in over $250 million of commercial real estate deals. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and I'll look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, don't forget to take a moment and leave us a rating interview on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate that so much, you guys. That helps other people learn about the show. I see your ratings and reviews, and I get to see that you're engaging with the content and escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Just a great way for you to give back to the show if you're open to doing that. And give me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling when I see you rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Alexandra Nolan. We're talking about business ownership, entrepreneurship, how she successfully started and sold several companies, lessons she's learned along the way, and so much more. Let's go. Alexandra, thank you so much for joining us today. Really excited to go through your experience going from the corporate world to a full-time successful entrepreneur. Can you tell us a bit about yourself, your background, and rewind the clock to when you were in those corporate days just dying to get out? Yeah. Okay. Thanks for having me. It is a long story, and I will try to keep it short and sweet because there's a lot that happens. <laughs> Basically, I graduated with my degree in marketing in 2008, in, in 2008. And if any of y'all remember that time, that was when the market crashed. A lot of college graduates weren't able to get a job. I ended up working at Macy's doing makeup. I had done that through college. And so I was doing working at a makeup counter. 
and just trying to put my degree to use. Not that working at a makeup counter at Macy's is, it was actually a great job. It's just not what I wanted to do. I wanted to be in corporate America. And eventually, power of networking, one of my regular clients kept coming in over and over weekly to do different makeup trends. And we got to talking and she was like, hey, you know, we have an opening for an internship for marketing at International Paper. You should you should come do it. So I ended up working at International Paper for six years, I believe. And I just had this inner itch to start my own business. While I was working there, I started a cosmetic line and kind of did that on the side. And I was just ready to go full time for that. And so, yeah, I ended up deciding I, I want to open up cosmetic boutique slash women's clothing store. And I took the leap of faith and did it. And thankfully, never had to look back, even though that job was wonderful, too. I was like, if, if, if I fall and scrape my knees, I hope they'll give me my job back. But thankfully, it's just kind of been uphill since there for the most part. Nice. Nice. OK, so. What type of like trajectory was that business on when you chose to leave your corporate career? Was it well established when you made the jump or was it, hey, I'm leaving this corporate job to go start this thing and it doesn't even exist yet? What did that look like when you first made the leap? So it was, I wouldn't call it well-established. I had started the business, the makeup line. I probably had it for a year. And so the original thing, strategy, was to do this, not the pyramid scheme, but you know, the makeup lines where you do at-home parties. Maybe I could get some other makeup artists to buy into the line and they can do at-home parties and I'll just grow that way. I found out really quickly there's not a lot of money to be made there because, you know, they're looking at your business as another company or I'm sorry, makeup artist is looking at my business as they're investing in their own business. And it just cuts out, you know, the, any kind of income that you can make in between. So I realized that I'm going to have to because the idea was to keep working and do that pyramid type business. I realized if I'm going to do this and, and make a living off of it, I have to dedicate myself 100 percent. I made that decision, but I took a cut in annual in, in my annual income by like 80 percent. So that just gives you an idea. It was a complete risk. It was it was literally a I'm going to sink or swim. I put my two weeks notice in and then I had I never recommend this. I talk about this in my book. I had only about a month or two worth of my personal in money to live on that I needed for my for my home and everything. Yes, I know. I know. I know. I was very young at that time with no kids and I wasn't married, so I didn't have a lot to lose. I only had a car. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I took that leap. And, and thankfully, I made some really smart business decisions in the very beginning that really allowed me to be competitive enough to grow that business into multiple locations and sell it seven years later. Awesome. I love especially that you were able to sell and exit a lot of business owners. Entrepreneurs don't actually achieve that successful exit, especially seven years or ever they might not achieve that successful exit. So let's walk through some of those great decisions that you made that led you to the successful exit of the business. Absolutely. So one of the main decisions that I, and I always say location is everything, you know, especially being, it was a boutique. They are a dime a dozen. There's lots of them. So I had a lot of competition, but it was something I was passionate about. But I realized if I'm going to be successful and grow quickly, I need to choose a location where the competition is minimal. And so my first location I chose on a, they call it Mud Island in Memphis, Tennessee. It's like a, a little island. It's about a mile and a half to two miles long. It's got tons of homes and it has one little commercial district down in their downtown area, which is probably like one little street with 
20 businesses. I chose to open a boutique there. I was the only store, retail store, other than the grocery store on the island. So if you wanted to shop, you had to shop at my place. So that was, I think that I may not have gotten through the whole first year of business had I not you know, chose a location. But that's an investment. There was an investment there for a location like that. It, you're going to pay double the amount and rent every month. But the trade-off is, is you're not having to invest that in marketing. And being a marketing, you know, major myself, marketing's hard. A lot of times it's throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks. But choosing a location is definitely more of a solid strategy up front. Nice. Okay. So just like real estate investing, location, location, location. How did you, you we kind of touched on this really briefly, but how did you think about your like work-life balance once you made that jump into being an entrepreneur. I think a lot of people kind of get stuck on that as like, hey, I still need to live my life, but you're kind of burning the ships in a way, making this big bet on yourself. What did your quote-unquote work-life balance look like, or did you have any at all at that point? Oh, gosh. It's like drinking from a water hose at that point, or from a fire hose, sorry. Water hose is a lot easier from a fire hose, it was, there was no work-life balance. I went into it just, I had, I didn't say this part, but I had the idea that I wanted to become, I wanted to leave my job. And from the point that I had that idea, I actually left my job about three weeks later. So I had no planning in place. I was very spontaneous in my younger years. (laughs) So yeah, I just kind of was like, well, I don't have a job. Now I need to make money. So I need to make this job work. So the work-life balance was pretty rough on the front end. And I have to say, I lived that way all the way up until I'm on my second marriage. So all the way up until my divorce, which a huge part of that was because I didn't have the work-life balance. I have learned now. I make time um, for my personal life. It's, it's good for the people that love you. It's also good for yourself. But yeah, it was tough. It was tough. It was a, that was one a super hard lesson to learn. Because as an entrepreneur, you're so passionate about what you do. As I can imagine with real estate investing, you can get super passionate about it and you just get in it and stuck in it. And then you kind of forget about the world around you. But I did learn some lessons there and there are bazillions of them I wrote about in the book. But yeah, it's definitely a must as an entrepreneur. Awesome. So you... You have a few specific ideas that your marketing folks sent over to me that I'd like to dig into. First off, the the profit cost process. Let's dig into that. Tell me about that. It sounds interesting. I don't have all the details, so be learning along with our listeners. Tell us about the profit cost process. Okay, so the profit cost process is a very unconventional strategy. And and back it up just a little bit to give you an idea. The a lot of the things I talk about in this in this book is unconventional strategies versus traditional business strategies that you'll learn about in college or, you know, really anywhere online. The unconventional strategies are the strategies that entrepreneurs learn themselves and they don't gatekeep. They want to share with everyone else. So, one of the things that I learned when you're pricing yourself for pro- to make a profit is a lot of times, you know, you're you're pricing for your your variable costs, your fixed costs, all of these, you know, textbook type of pricing strategy costs there. But you don't take in the aspect of pricing yourself for your expertise. So you're putting in all this work 
and you're forgetting to really put a put a price tag on what your expertise is and what and and I say this it's not this is not your what you make as an income this is an additional a little bonus because it sucks as an entrepreneur when you're working 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 and you're just kind of making the the for the first five years three to five years you're just kind of making this you know a good income but sometimes it's it's just a you know middle of the line and you you want that bonus but there's no money set aside for that so in that profit profit call structure. It talks about how do you add into the cost a tiny bonus that over time will snowball at the end of the year into a nicer big chunk that you can invest in yourself instead of reinvesting back in your business. Of course, there are the profit that you make in your business. You want to reinvest back in your business to grow and make more money. But I, one of the key things on that is realizing what that monetary value is on your expertise in the industry and then tying that into your actual pricing structure. Interesting. Okay. So understanding essentially the value that you bring to the table. So in entrepreneurship, business ownership, real estate, especially, it can be tough looking at the numbers and saying, okay, I want to make more out of this and I'm going to set some aside and, and, you know, take that money, earn that money for myself later on. How do you think about that in terms of just allocating the funds between the buckets? Do you think about it? Hey, I have to take that fund, those funds out of this particular expense bucket in terms of like actually allocating the, 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 the profit that you're taking. Is that kind of coming off the top first? Are you taking it out of expense? Are you having to kind of cost optimize? How do you think about the nuts and bolts of putting that, those funds aside? So in the way that I do it, I price slightly higher my services and products slightly higher. And let me tell you, a lot of people say, well, is that going to price me completely out of, out of, you know, the competition? Am I going to be able to remain competitive? We're talking about a, just a small bump that, you know, if, if you do quality work and, and you're putting yourself out there and you're getting the job done, that people are going to word of mouth. They're going to talk about that. People aren't going to be worried about pay just that small little bump, that small little bump per customer or per product you sell or whatever it may be at the end of the year can turn into, and I'm, I know this isn't huge, but it could, for a small, small business owner, it could turn into an extra 10 grand in your pocket. Or, you know, if you're a multi-level business owner, you've been doing it for years or you're, you know, making huge investments, that can turn into an extra hundred thousand dollars in your pocket, you know, but it's still something extra. And what I learned when, especially when you talked about before that work-life balance and what I learned through my whole, you know, personal debacle with that and my first business is when you are burning the candle at both ends and you're not getting that little extra, it's kind of like at the, you, you'll end up getting to the point where you're just like, what am I doing this for? Like, I didn't quit my full-time job to just, you know, I'm passionate about it, but where's the money? I'm just making m middle level and I didn't I didn't drop myself from what I was making to just stay in the middle. I, I want to make triple, quadruple that, you know? So a lot of times if you're not rewarding yourself or kind of, you know, dangling that carrot in front of your own face, you can really lose steam and then you just, your business falls apart. Mm, okay. Okay. So in the entrepreneurship space and, and business ownership and everything, I think we all have something that we bring to the table, whether it's a skill set we have naturally or something that we've developed in previous lives. But when you're in a business, you need to have a lot of different skill sets and we might have blind spots. So when you first got started in your in your estimation, what was the top skill set that you brought to the table? And then second part of that is what was your biggest blind spot or area that you needed to improve it? Okay. Well, I will say that the 
<laughs> I'm not sure most people see this as a plus. Being a risk taker was definitely something I brought to the table. I was not fearful at all to take risks. And it's not because I had the money set aside for it. I, I can be say numbers here because I talk about it in the book. I had only $10,000 saved up to start wow. a brick and mortar store. I have been helping. That is that is just, that's a risk taker to the crazy degree. I've been helping several men and women open up retail stores since in an online school that I've started. And I, at the lowest level you should have is $50,000. And that's like really low. Like that's like just kind of open it bare and just have the racks and the product there. So that just gives you an idea of how much of a risk taker I am. But because I do take risks and I'm not a, I don't have that fear lingering inside of me. I mean, there's a little bit there, but, but not to, you know, a degree where it's going to stop me. I've really been able to, to excel and to just to do things and do them quickly. Something that I, okay. So something that I had to learn is confidence. So you would think that someone who's a risk taker has a lot of confidence. I wasn't confident in my abilities. So I know this is going to sound crazy. I was confident enough to take the risk, but I wasn't that I could figure it out. But I just didn't when it came to being one of the major players in the space as far as the cosmetic world as a makeup artist. There was a, there were a lot of them here in Memphis and still are. I just wasn't I priced myself really low. I was like, well, I'm kind of new to the game. I'm not a big name. I need to kind of fly under the radar and build this up. You know, when I started building that confidence and being like, hey, you know what? I'm just as great as everyone else. I've got a, and I've got a store and I've got like, I need to, you know, get on news shows. I need to start, you know, putting my brand out there. I need to price myself what I'm worth. That Once I was able to build that confidence up, my business, it just shined through. My customers saw it. Everyone saw it. People want to, wanted to work with me more. So that was that's a huge thing. And, and it, a lot of it, a lot of it, and I know a lot of people hate, hate this, is it's fake it till you make it. I was great at what I did in, in the makeup. Like my, my skill set was there, but I had to fake this really confident makeup artist persona. I had to walk in with my head high and, you know, shoulders back and my high heels, even though inside I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. What are they saying about me? You know, so <laughs> if you exude, eventually you just become to believe it and you build it. So I would say that's definitely a must for an entrepreneur, but something I lacked in. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So you've started several businesses over the years, including one recently. Looking at your own growth and transformation and the way to, things that you've learned and the way that you think about starting a business now and building a business now compared to how you thought about it originally, just kind of figuring it out along the way. What are some key things that you do differently now? We already talked about folks that you you help make sure that they have enough cash in the bank. That's definitely very important. But as far as you know, building the business and, and everything, what do you do differently now with your, your new businesses today? So one of the big things I've learned is you really need to find the balance between what you're passionate about and what you want to do and what makes money. So I'll give you an example. I mean, sure, you can do just what you're passionate about if you're not really worried about the money, if you've got all the money in the world, but most of us aren't, you know, in that bucket. So my example was the the very first business that I did. Very passionate about makeup, somewhat passionate about fashion. It ended up being a clothing store, makeup store. The makeup was driving it. The clothing was there to kind of make that extra so that I could, you know, pay the rent. They had to sell a lot of makeup. <laughs> so I, if I was just makeup, so I had to do something else. 
But it was very much a, I'm going to, you know, this is going to be great. I'm going to live in this, you know, makeup world, fashion world. And, and, and I was a single woman at the time and I brought my dog to work. And I just, it was just, it was like this whole ideal lifestyle that I had. I didn't do the research behind what does the competition look like? What did, what, how much do I have to sell a month to break even to make a good, you know, a profit? What does selling this business look like and how do I need to structure myself so that from day one all the way to year seven, I can show the, the numbers and the data. I mean, I'd never he'd even thought about selling in the beginning. So I had no real, you know, ideas in place. And now with my new business, I'm doing sensory marketing. And with that, it was very much a what kind of business can I be passionate about? that is a lower investment, that has zero overhead, or not zero, but real low overhead, that I can turn product quickly, that I can collect the cash, buy the product, put the profit in the bank account, and deliver the product. So, you know, it's not a whole lot of stock there that I can do as a one-woman show starting starting out. And that can also be that's it's cutting edge and up and coming and can be something that I can grow quickly, but I can also have an exit strategy and sell within one to two years. And those are the types of things that I did not think about. And and it was, I just remember when I was selling my first business, I was like, why didn't I keep the structured business records? Why didn't I, you know, think about being different and outside the box so that I would be, you know, I would appeal to investors? And also, why didn't I choose something that just makes lots of money and grows quickly? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they were fun, don't get me wrong, but retail's really tough. Anyone that's in that retail game knows it. It takes a long time to grow and it's really hard to sell. So yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay, so you, you kind of already beat me to it, but I wanted to also, before we go to three questions I ask every guest on the show, I wanted to also ask about your experience selling that business and important lessons you learned along the way you already touched on having proper business records throughout the throughout the course of actually owning the business, but anything else from your experience selling the business that you'd wish you'd done differently or big lessons that you learned through that process? Well, I would say I'll take the big lessons question because the done differently is definitely the records, clear records. You know, being a marketer by heart, I was very strategic in gaining customer emails, building a customer base, growing my social media accounts. I didn't realize the value that that would become later. So I started in 2012 and that was, I want to say Facebook business maybe had just begun that year or maybe it, I remember when I started, I did not have a Facebook business account and I had to, I remember all of a sudden learning about it and it was new and I had to convert my personal business business account into a Facebook business account. And so it was so like hot and new and I was like, I'm going to grow this. And so I, you know, worked on growing followers, got an Instagram account, grew those followers. And when it came down oh, and, and then the email newsletter list, I collected emails from everyone that checked out that opted in to the marketing. I had over 20,000 in my email newsletter right. list. Those are 20,000 people over seven years who have put money on the table with my brand. And so that was massive in, in selling there's a huge value to that. That's the brand equity that I built that I didn't even realize that I was building. So now I keep that in the front of my mind is, yeah, you want the sales to be there. You want you want a, a very novel, innovative idea that investors will be like, whoa, we haven't seen that. You know, we want to invest in this business because no one's doing this. But even if the numbers are, are good 
and and maybe your business is still young and you're trying to sell it two years, three years. If you've built up a the brand equity behind your brand and you have, you know, you have that customer base, you can tack on extra dollar signs to the sell price just for that. Nice. Okay, great. That makes a lot of sense. I'm glad we touched on that. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Are you looking for a way to easily track your rental property finances? Check out Stessa. Stessa makes managing real estate investments simple. You can easily keep track of the performance, finances, and the paper trail of your rental properties. Our listeners can get started for free and then upgrade at any time to unlock their more advanced tools. And the even better news is that the upgrade is very affordable and will not break your bank. Smart investors know that tracking the numbers, tracking the money, tracking the finances is what really drives your success. Check out Stessa. It'll make your property finances easier. Just go to escapingwallstreet.com, scroll down to the Stessa logo, and get started for free. Now back to the show. All right, Alexandra, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Definitely my business. <laughs> Definitely my business and in on in a more personal inner thought process in myself. So a lot of times people have these ideas, especially when it comes to business entrepreneurs that have the entrepreneurial mindset. They'll come up with all these ideas, but they won't take that step to invest in the business. But what I like to tell them is, yeah, you're investing in the business, but more importantly, you're investing in yourself and in your future. So with myself investing in my very first business and it's snowballing into what it is today, I've been able to, yeah, invest in myself and invest in my business. And it's really been, it's really been a good thing for me. Nice, nice. I appreciate the specificity. So I think sometimes folks can get a little generic with that, but you gave us some Great examples there. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? This one, I, I, okay, I, being a marketer, I don't want to, I don't want this to be taken the wrong way because this is truly one of the worst investments I've ever made. It's a $20,000 investment, but it wouldn't be a terrible investment if you didn't know what you were doing. So let me, let me explain this. I invested in a company to do my website design, SEO, and and those kinds of things. There's a few other things in that marketing and that kind of stuff. But I have a marketing background. I knew that I, I knew what I had learned in school. I didn't have the unconventional strategies figured out, but I was too I was I was just not confident enough at the time that I could actually, you know, build a wonderful website and that I could really market myself the way that I wanted to. So I invested in this, you know, big company and it just, it was a lot of smoke and mirrors. They didn't really do what they said they were going to do. So on the back end, I lost $20,000 and then I just went in and did Google education. You know, I just Googled everything, watched YouTube videos, and I was able to execute it myself. So what I would say with that, be investing in marketers is not a terrible investment. What I would say is before you throw a large investment, into a bucket. Do your research and see if it's something that you can figure out yourself. I was very surprised at how easy it was. And I had just wished I would have taken a week or two to figure it out because I learned a new skill set that I now sell to customers and I would have saved 20 grand. <laughs> but hey, sometimes we learn lessons the hard way. And this leads to my favorite question here at the end of the show. What is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Okay, the one that sticks with me is not all growth is good growth. 
I there was a point in my career and when I had my boutiques that I had grown by five locations in one year. And I was take all these opportunities were coming at me. And I was like, yes, grow, grow, grow. I want all of them. Like I'm saying yes to everything. And what ended up happening, and you know, I touched on this a little bit earlier, that work-life balance that I didn't even have in the first place became even more strained because I had opened five stores within a year, partnering with other people that wanted to invest in the brand and open stores. And I couldn't, I just spread myself so thin. And if I would have just spaced out and strategically grew, that whole experience probably would have been a lot different. So with my new business that I'm launching now, I'm I'm getting a lot. It, it's great. I launched it in January. I've got a super great growth. And today, I even told myself today because I was like, okay, I've closed all these accounts. I'm ready to close some more. And I thought to myself, no, take take this month to make sure that I'm mastering the the service end of it. Make sure that I've got all of these kinks and bugs worked out before I grow, 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 because it could just you know, blow up in my face in the end. I I love that. Don't get out ahead of your skis and get the kinks worked out before you get too big and love all of that. And Alexandra, it's a great conversation today. So many lessons. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, they want to find your book, whatever, where can they track you down? Okay. The main place, because of another business I didn't touch on, is social media influencing. I do work with a lot of national brands. So all of my stuff is on Instagram. Links to my book, links to websites, business courses, everything. And my Instagram handle is alexandra.nicole. Great. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show, and that also helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.